Welcome to the Share Life Podcast with Jason Scott Montoya, where we explore stories and systems to live better and work smarter. In this book discussion episode of the Share Life Podcast, I'm speaking with David Zoll. David, say hello. Hey, everyone. Uh, today, we're going to discuss his latest book, Low Anthropology, The Unlikely Key to a Gracious View of Others and Yourself. David is the director of Mockingbird Ministries, an organization he founded in 2007. He's editor-in-chief of the Mockingbird blog and co-host of the Mockingcast podcast. David is also an author of multiple books and has written for Christianity Today and the Washington Post. He lives with his wife and three boys in Charlottesville, Virginia, where he also serves on the staff of Christ Episcopal Church. Today, we're talking about anthropology as it relates to our understanding of human nature. David's book calls is called Low Anthropology. But to get us started, we're going to chat about its opposite, high anthropology. Mm. So recently, Elon Musk tweeted his idea on how to stop the Russians' uh, invasion of Ukraine. His suggestion came across to me as naive or high anthropology, as if the invasion was a misunderstanding that could be easily reconciled. So what is high anthropology? What is its highest form? And is high is Elon Musk a high anthropologist? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Um it's a really great question. Uh, Jason, the uh, high anthropology is uh, some view of human nature that is generally quite flattering so that uh, you and I are, um, if not uh, perfectible, well, then we are certainly improvable. Um, Men and women are, uh, most of the limitations that we face are the ones we put on ourselves. And uh, the purpose of life is to kind of transcend those limitations as best you can. And that um, there, there's not much you can't do if you put your mind to it. So um, any kind of, any kind of uh, view that sort of says, just, just follow your heart or um, uh, you, you do you, that kind of thing. That's usually some form of high anthropology, but it's usually easier to tell what a high anthropology is by the sort of fruit of high anthropology, which is loneliness and burnout, or at least those are two of the fruit. Um, if you were, uh, we live in a culture, I would say, of definitively, uh, squarely of high anthropology, which has a, a kind of a, a implicit assumptions that we're, um, or that runs on these assumptions mm-hmm. that we're capable of more than we're actually capable of doing. Yeah. And, and knowing. So if you're constantly being asked to do more than you ever would ever be able to do or know more than you could ever possibly know, then you're probably breathing in the fumes of a high anthropology. Mm-hmm. Um, likewise. The, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. With, well, with those limitations, would that be societal limitations too? Like you said, limitations we put on ourselves, but that could, would that also be imposed by others or systems? Well, a high anthropology would say that any, most limitations are external. Like if, there's, mm. if there are any limitations there, they're, they're not, you are not um, complicit in them. Yeah. So that it's sort of out there. The problems with, with, with life are primarily out there. And low anthropology, which is a more sober view of human nature, would say that we have, there is re- such a thing as resistance in our lives that is external, um, you know, uh, from traffic to... Uh, <laughs> you know, marketing and advertising, but there's also significant internal resistance that's sort of inborn that we have all kinds of, um, yeah, uh, 
difficulties uh, realizing our potential that are that have nothing to do with the outside world that are simply uh, as a result of our own frailties and um, and 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 sort of self orientation things like that. Yeah. So yeah, it's not okay. strictly one or the other, but I would say that high anthropology is usually um, blames my problems on society. Mm. And, a low is, it, is it usually a blame more in a specific sense like that um or is it take other forms as other than blaming yeah well I, yes certainly other than blaming you blame yourself too when you're mm -hmm. in, in in a culture of high anthropology you uh oftentimes uh we if if you're living in a world of that has a, a inflated view of what human beings are capable of you start to think you're the only one who isn't capable of things. So loneliness is, is, is often a fruit of low anthropology. Like I'm the only one who struggles, who feels like they're, mm. they're just, just uh, hanging on for dear life or just making <laughs> things up as we go along. That's, that is usually indicative of a high anthropology. Mm. And, and why, why is loneliness a, a symptom of high anthropology? What's going on there? Well, there's other. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's strictly a symptom of high anthropology. Loneliness yeah. is. There's something lonely about just being a person uh, uh, who's, you know, has their own consciousness. But uh, in a world of high anthropology, you're defined by your strengths and by your accomplishments. And so, if that's the case, well, then you need to hide your weakness you need to hide your vulnerabilities you need to hide your fallibilities and your liabilities and so if you're not if you're really editing out any kind of unsavory parts of yourself you will never feel like anyone actually knows you because you they only know the good things about you and not the the bad or not the real um, yeah and so people feel lonely usually when they feel like they cannot be known when mm -hmm. they have to edit or curate themselves mm. uh to be acceptable which of course is no real no acceptance at all um, yeah you're only showing the shiny happy parts of yourself to the world yeah and so what are some of the the form what are some of the common forms that we see that are forms of groups or people or um mindsets that we see in our society that take that high anthropology anthropological form well, most, most, uh, almost every, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, low anthropology is usually the exception. I mean, low anthropology is also reality, mm. but high anthropology, any type of um, mindset or strategy for improving your life that involves just sort of instruction. Mm. Like uh, if I'm going to tell you to do this and uh, if I just give you the right information, you'll be able to do it. Yeah. And um that always runs into a brick wall of human motivation. Like uh, telling someone what they need to do is not the same thing as them being able to do it. Yeah. Um, and so any, I mean, w w whether that applies to self-help or applies to certain political schemes or, um, uh, you know, advertising, uh, lots of, Lots of products are sold to us on the on the idea that if uh, here's here's some information that you can buy and then you will be able to be happier and um, that is usually superficial. That's usually yeah. superficial given the fact that how it operates in relationships. I can tell you what you need to do. I can I can plead with you not to you know chew with your mouth open, but. Um, <laughs> 
sometimes that's not enough to get the person to actually there, there's all sorts of other motivations going on in a person yeah. than simply information <coughs> excuse me well it also it kind of reminds me of like a lot of our parenting like that's how we parent is like we just tell our kids as if that's going to magically change them <laughs> yeah i mean it, I, low anthropology doesn't absolve us of the need to protect or or educate people i think there's yeah. information and knowledge is super important it's just not a it's just not a primary importance you might say like mm. we are we're predominantly emotional creatures and secondarily intellectual so um parenting is usually a way of of trying to um uh help a child and uh realize and, and and against the forces that sort of assault them which are often internal forces as well as external forces and to 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 give them the best opportunity for success which is not just giving them information it's ridiculous to think that giving us five-year-old better information is going to um, you know is all you need to do as a parent no you yeah. need to sort of help them learn to deal with their own emotions you need to help them learn to deal with the, the the varying situations they get into in life and and you basically need to be a a calm in the storm uh of their own person uh personal development so yeah there's all and sorts of things that go into parenting yeah yeah now um you mentioned it's it's prominent it's so prominent that the low low anthropology would be the exception would you kind of uh, bucket that into the Western world, or do you think that's a, a global phenomenon? The high anthropology is a global phenomenon. I think it's a human phenomenon. So yes, I would say it's global. Um, I can't really. I don't want to speak too cross culturally in terms of the. I think I think high anthropology can take different forms. Yeah. Um, but certainly the march toward uh, you know human realization, self realization, and the. Um, city shining on a hill that can that, that you know you see that in the empires of asia just as much as you see it in the um you know or 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 the rise of communism or something like that you, you see all sorts of um ideas about how human humanity is sort of moving ever forward towards a sort of a, a new dawn you mm -hmm. see that in in uh, across cultures the the question and and you just see it slightly different forms i mean there's a, generally speaking people talk about eastern cultures being more comfortable or l less individualistic yeah. generally speaking and i think that's true but they have a as a sort of a people they have a, a glorious future that they're trying to um uh, uh realize and that's that's a high anthropology in the same way mm -hmm. uh it just it, it but it's it's I would say it's calibrated a little bit differently. Um, certainly in the Western world, in a kind of a post Enlightenment uh, understand, especially a, a sort of the French Enlightenment, where we are the worship of reason and mm -hmm. um, uh, kind of the very word Enlightenment, in fact, is is <laughs> indicative of a sense of human beings. Uh, moving toward uh something uh better in and of themselves which is i think is that's why the 20th century was such a gut punch to so many mm. uh europeans because it this 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 they we thought we were shedding the the shackles of the past and um then but in fact we were harnessing 
technological progress to d- create larger, more effective forms of devastation and dehumanization. So the, the, the history is a challenge to high anthropology um, while also, you know, there are, there are certain ways in which we've um, the advances in science, it, it, high, low anthropology, high anthropology doesn't negate the fact that we get, you know, we, we actually learn things. That's, mm-hmm. that is true. In fact, though, Jason, like I, I talk about in one of the chapters, like the whole scientific method upon which so many of our, uh, uh, so much social progress has been uh, predicated is based on an idea of a low anthropology by which the human reason, there's so many blind spots and so many um, were so fallen in the kind of uh, that you cannot trust just one person. You need to get yeah. as many people together to run as many of the same experiments as many times as possible and trying to disprove each other. And that progress to the extent that it happens is a slow laborious process that that the Francis Bacon was was coming from a very low anthropology actually, which formed the bedrock of this you know uh, you know uh, discovery, which is yeah incredible. So, well, <clears throat> yeah, and that, that's interesting that you say that. Just in terms of like what I see as the the decay of that scientific, um, uh, I don't want to say I don't know if superiority is the right word, but just sort of high regard for science like mm. the trust in our in our our institutions and in science um as a society seems to be dwindling for a variety of reasons some of which are probably justified but um we are simply replacing that authority with ourselves as the authority right so it's not like we're fixing the problem we're just moving it around it seems that could be i, <laughs> I don't disagree with you so what 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 uh speaking of technology, you know, and Elon Musk, you know, how would you sort of frame him and and a lot of his his innovations and just technology in general, AI, you know, uh uh it certainly seems like uh we're creating some great things, but those great things may not turn out to be so great when we uh start using them. Yeah, I mean in terms of Musk, I don't want to comment on him specifically because I think he's a is a fascinating guy. He's a jumble of all sorts of forces and I I I I think the world is a more interesting place with Elon Musk in it to be yeah, perfectly honest with you. I think Silicon Valley itself which from which he um he's kind of the paragon of in certain ways. Like I think that it is a very um very high anthropology it's 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 an attempt to sort of transcend our limitations through technology and Mm. kind of um but it's also profits directly on people's low anthropology so um (laughs) the irony right (laughs) yeah well without our need to feel better about ourselves and our want desire to justify ourselves and and the kind of um the predictability of the human psyche when it comes to what angers us and what um, what motivates us, like none of these platforms would work in the same way they do. And yet at the same time, it's like a sort of a Gnostic, like there's this sort of high order of, of people that are kind of um, above, you know, you, you read about Silicon Valley people that don't allow their kids to use their own inventions. And I think that that's, very telling. In the book, I talk about the invention of the like button, just as a as a as a, an example of a, something that was um, engineered with a very high anthropology. 
the like mm-hmm. button on Facebook, Justin Rosenstein's gone on record as the guy, one of the engineers behind it, saying that they really thought at Facebook they were doing something to sort of increase, you know, <laughs> solidarity and a way to encourage people and to say, to pass on love even. Mm-hmm. And the, the notion that it would be used for something different than what they intended, um, aka to make it in, make social media into a popularity contest, the likes of which the world has never seen, like that hadn't that didn't occur to anyone. And yeah. so the, the anthropology in that room was off the charts high. Yeah. And, and, and that's that's yeah, that's so that's fairly scary because. Yeah, I mean, it's like to 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 miss out on sort of the biggest uh blind spot so to speak and and then for that blind spot to be completely uh sucker punched you know <laughs> it's a it's a it's a, the stakes are not low here like the, yeah. there's you know you have adolescent people you know girls and boys alike you know hating themselves cutting themselves because of the responses they get on social media which are largely the result of a of a model that was premised on a completely false understanding of human nature that stumbled into various mechanisms that Madison Avenue knew about that have um, by which we can be manipulated. It's a it's a very sad state of affairs. At the same time, like uh, there's some great things about social media, so I'm not like 100% against it. But I think largely speaking, it's a it's a great object lesson. In if 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 one of the people in that room, like if if Facebook had been created by someone in their fifties, I think it'd be feel very different. Mm. Um, that said, maybe Facebook would have never been created, could have never been created yeah. by someone in their fifties. But it, it it just goes to show you how much is at play here. Yeah. So that gives us a picture of this of high anthropology. So let's let's shift gears to low anthropology. Um, on a previous episode of this podcast a friend of mine was discussing the church Mm. he was a christian and he said that he's yet to see a church board invite others to participate because it's really going to be painful (laughs) (laughs) and so in reflection of his comment i was thinking about it and wondering like who actually is preachy you know that pay like come join me it's going to be painful and the person that came to mind was jordan peterson and Mm. he says things like if you can't see yourself as a nazi concentration camp guard then you don't know yourself Mm. Now, my difference with Peterson is that he doesn't go low enough in recognizing that we are destined to fail in our response without God's direct intervention. But I'd like you to explore these ideas, the lack of low anthropology in the church, the power of low anthropology, and the limits of low anthropology without God. So let's start with the first, and let's talk about uh, low anthropology in the church or the lack of it. Yeah, uh, there is, I mean, I think... The church has, has been entrusted. I mean, I think the church as bedrock has as a, a can have a deep appreciation of low anthropology simply because it's it's an it's it's exists to talk about the gospel and talk about God and God who who is God but who we you know uh, we are all people who need God uh, rather yeah. than uh, not God is not just sort of like our friend in the sky or something like that. It's uh. W- we, we and in the Bible we talk about original sin, and we talk about the we're we're created beings, not cre- not uh, not God. And there's a God, and you're not Him. Is, is how you yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think that the church, but the church has a conflicted relationship with this. What we have in the church is sort of a selectively high anthropology, where mm. once you become a Christian, like what what leads you, sort of your own personal need, limitations, conflictedness, doubleness. 
and self-centeredness leads you to be open to the idea of a, a savior god and then once you become a christian or become religious then you're sort of told well okay well now you're sort of in the door now it's sort of time to go back to kind of you now have a higher now you're more capable uh, you know <laughs> sort of some ideas about the holy spirit saying like now it's time yeah. for you to start climbing that ladder and uh it's it becomes a burnout situation for a lot of people where they feel uh baited and switched because they thought hey i thought this thing was all about mercy and forgiveness and and here i am like feeling like i'm being judged for not being a good enough christian mm. And or I'm feeling exhausted by the whole project. Yeah. Uh, this thing that I thought was a refuge has become another project. And so we have in the church oftentimes a selectively high anthropology, which is can just is the same exact um, or a very similar um, fallout to a, just a, a high anthropology in general. I don't think it's I often think it's it's unintentional. Um so yeah, but there are there are also, you know, this is the reason the the way that sort of liturgical traditions have developed have, are usually in a in a way to sort of counteract that and counterbalance those tendencies to sort of turn Christianity into like a self-help scheme like uh, the church that I go to which is an episcopal church and liturgically like every single week no matter who you are no matter how long you've been a christian you come in and you 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 say the confession and you mm -hmm. you you say that you're a sinner and that you uh, you are looking to God to feed you and to transform you and to love you and to forgive you. And that's, that doesn't change. That's what continues. So I think there, there are powerful examples throughout the uh, ages of Christianity being the religion of low anthropology, um, which it is, is not a religion that says there's no such thing as change or improvement. It just puts the onus on God for those, those things. So, yeah. So uh, any any thoughts on my friend's comment about uh, yet to see a church board invite others to participate because it's going to be really painful? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I think that that's true. It's it we 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 want to market ourselves as happy and 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 cooperative, and that most of the path towards spiritual um, transformation is painful, and um, you don't. Um, yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't invite people. Uh, you don't lead with that because no one wants, no one wants pain. But unfortunately, it comes to all of us. And so I think that uh, how the church is able to, I, I wouldn't. I think the church, at its best, can again be the place to bring your pain that you're already feeling. Like it's, it's not like. Um, and to bring your lack and to bring your need and to hear, to, to put yourself in the position uh, to, to receive God's mercy and forgiveness and the fellowship of other Christians and things like that. But on, on one level, th that's why the church is always going to be somewhat countercultural, Jason, because yeah. we don't shy away. What, what T.S. Eliot once said, the church exists to remind uh, human beings of that which they would let rather forget which is the mm. fact of sin and death like yeah so on one level we're never going to be ascendant in that regard and to the extent we are we're probably ignoring part of our um, birthright yeah um, and yet sin and death cannot be escaped so uh, you you just you can they can be they can be uh, put off mm -hmm. but never escaped yeah that helps deal with your question yeah, yeah. So if someone um, 
you know, if they really kind of take the idea of low anthropology serious, um, what what would you say is the power behind that type of uh, that type of view of human, uh, you know, just the nature of human human life? The power of low anthropology is a, is the power of love, because again, there's no love where there's no admittance of the full person. And there's no full person without your both your your best and your worst, and mm-hmm. so no one love. Uh, I was I was talking to someone that we were, uh, I was at a wedding and uh, listening to the toasts given by the bridesmaids and the groomsmen, and all of them were sort of like they weren't like, hey, these people, this person getting married is the most beautiful or successful or impressive guy. Like it was always like, yes, she's great. Yes, uh, she's lovely. She's my dear friend. But let me tell you what she's like in her sweatpants on a Tuesday night. You know? <laughs> yeah, it, it's like, let me tell you what she's really like. And that's the person I know. And I love her, not yeah. just the, the made up bride. Um, same with the guys. It's like, yes, he's reliable. He's my man. He's been loyal. He's been fun. But he also... I I was there on a Wednesday night when he'd had too much to drink and we had to, you know, the police had come and like, and uh, we, we got up into some real nonsense and I've watched him fall on his face. And that's why I love him. You know, like, yeah. so that's the power of low anthropology. <clears throat> I mean, ultimately the power of low anthropology is, is, is the power of God. Um, Cause it's, it's, it's just the gateway to a, a view of ourselves in which we need, we need uh, low anthropology in the sense uh, of, uh, being a person with limitations and, and with a with a will that is compromised and um, a sort of a, even a dark side to our human nature is it means that you are a person who needs help yeah and you need help from other people so it's an invitation to friendship and collaboration but ultimately you need help from God and so mm-hmm. a low anthropology without God can be somewhat defeating and I think nihilistic. Um, it happens to be true nonetheless, but it, it is still, uh, I see those things as the, um, the, the doorway to something much bigger than yourself. Um, but you don't really enter, go through that doorway until, um, you don't, you, you've exhausted your own resources. On the other hand, Jason, though, I think that like, um, uh, the difference between high and low anthropology is the difference between walking through the world resentful that people aren't better than they are, or they're not more like you, or they're not, it, reality doesn't conform to your sense of what it should be, that it falls short of it, or walking through the world with a sense of awe and wonder that given what people are like and given what other people have been like to me and what I've been like to them, look at how much beauty and goodness is on display and how much the hand of God moves in the world and how much um, joy there is. So it, it it's, it, this is this counterintuitive um, truth about it all. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's good. What, what would you say to someone that's like, well, Hey, I don't, I don't really, um, you know, I don't really think I don't really believe in low or high anthropology. I just think most people struggle with, you know, lacking empathy, um, or not understanding the goodness, like, how, how would you respond to someone like that? Well, I mean, it's again, low anthropology isn't saying that you're, there's nothing good in you. It's saying that, like, there's both in you and that to, uh, 
people want to break the, I think there's anthropologies are charted on this continuum and like mm -hmm. our, our, we, none of us part of a low anthropology is that none of us hold our quote unquote anthropology with any consistency like <laughs> um, there are times when I say oh I think people stink but then when someone actually cuts me off in traffic or acts in a in a malicious way towards me I'm totally shocked and scandalized so, <laughs> so that would say or I, I know someone I know plenty of people who say well human beings are basically good getting better and you know look Look at our society and, and very sort of have a very progressive view of the world and yet they're deeply cynical about uh, their own ability to change or other people so it's not mm -hmm. like there's a consistency uh, going on here uh, um, I would just say that what's truer uh, what's more reliably true if I want to find a way to connect with other people rather than hate them I need to look for their the chinks in the armor and um the the stuff that they're hiding that's mm. going to be where i actually find love if i look only at their greatest achievements i'm going to find envy and jealousy and resentment of myself or them and so um it, you know i'm willing for people to say i had someone on the other day say like i'm not into a high anthropology or low anthropology i'm into a reasonable anthropology well that <laughs> to me it's just a euphemism for low anthropology you just <laughs> People get very scared of any kind of negativity, um, but we are living under such a tyranny of positivity that a little bit more negativity allowance for it will have the counterintuitive effect, I guarantee, of lightening the burden rather than rather than uh, rather than increasing it. So is there is there much difference between the difference between low and high anthropology and low and high expectations? Um, yeah, I think low anthropology has, does lower expectations, yeah. uh, though, again, it's not, uh, consistent, mm. um, the, the, a person who understands their own low anthropology knows that they are conflicted. They are doubled is how I talked about a doubleness. So we have all sorts of ways in which we know we should have lower expectations of other people, but we don't. Mm. And that's a problem. Yeah. And so does it equate always to high, like high versus low expectations? I don't know. Yeah. I know that a low anthropology in theory would would have less, would have more realistic expectations of human beings, um, and but higher expectations of God. Mm. And uh, so that's that's or a Christian uh, low anthropology doesn't just say just because i can't change just because i can't engineer a goodness or righteousness doesn't mean it cannot be engineered it doesn't mean that victory is out of the question um it actually puts it actually i think increases hope for that reason yeah so i want to talk a little bit more specifically about low anthropology where it meets uh meets god and in, in the resurrection and so um you know one the, my biggest fear that i had that I kind of faced head on several years ago was one of corruption mm. physically, mentally, and spiritually. I feared not only that I'd fall away from God, but that I'd become an active adversary of him. You say it in your book that a high anthropology maintains that we combat the aging process at all costs. <laughs> in my case, it was an effort to combat corruption at all costs while failing miserably along the way. With so, um, what was so transformative for me was to recognize that I had been an enemy of God, and yet He still pursued and saved me. And if I fall away again, He'll do the same. In your book, you state that a high anthropology transforms the church from a hospital for sinners into a school schoolhouse or even boot camp for saints. 
It seems even as Christians, we failed to accept the severity of the problem and our active part in it. Instead of surrendering to this, this truth, we shore up our army and go on the attack. What's going on here? (laughs) Um, yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of like exactly what I was trying to say there. Um, but what, what you've basically articulated is an understanding of grace as God's fundamental disposition towards you has been, um, you thought it was all up to you to, to root out corruption uh, consistently and effectively, uh, only to realize that God was after you all along. And, yeah. um, the, 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 any good news of Christianity would not be predicated on your ability to sort of do the right thing with any, um, you know, uh, regularity. So here you have this glorious good news in the midst of your failure and exhaustion that in fact, it's to some degree, it's, it's, um, it's as if God needed me to be exhausted to do his work. (laughs) Well, that's exactly, I mean, that's, that's what we call the, the, that's what I would refer to as the distinction between the law and the gospel, that God sort of brings us to the end of ourselves so that he might be, makes us smaller so that he might be made larger like i think uh what my my brother says it well he says that god's office is at the end of your rope and sometimes it's only through you know the the preaching of the law be perfect therefore as your father in heaven is perfect that you kind of come to be like well hold on i I, i'm trying i'm trying to to not worry and to not be lustful and not be angry all these sermon on the mount injunctions but I'm finding it impossible. What hope do I have? And at that point, you, you, you finally, when you've exhausted your own resources, you look to the, to, to uh, outside yourself, you know, yeah. beyond yourself. And you say, and you hear the words that what is impossible with man is possible with God. And those are the same mouth of the person of, of Jesus Christ, who was just telling you, you need to do all these things, you know? So it's, I, I, I tend to think that the, um, when I come into contact with the commands of, of Jesus, they're usually, um, if I take, if I hear them correctly, they're not really, uh, they're bringing me to the end of myself so that I might trust, I might create faith. I might have some faith in, in God. Yeah. Um, so to bring you to that point of exhaustion, Jason, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that's generally how people change in life is through some form of desperation or, or love. And, or, yeah. or you might say love in the midst of desperation. Yeah. And then that's like you said earlier and that you mentioned in the book a lot that allows us to connect with others. Um, I uh, like, I like the idea of the phrase like permission to go second. You know, if I share how miss, you know, just my own struggles with somebody else, you know, perhaps it's uh, like a friend of mine. I wish I've done this with several people just talking about my struggles with pornography in the past and, and how that played out. And then they hear me and they're like, oh, I'm facing that same thing. So now they feel it feels safe for them to talk to me about it because I had someone that talked to me about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, isn't that the way any kind of help ever works? It's like you feel safe. Uh, All of a sudden, instead of being told by someone, just stop doing that. (laughs) You're told by someone, hey, I, I. I've, I have that same problem. And yeah. um, let me tell you how terrible it is. Like it, it, but let's talk about this. And all of a sudden yeah. your, your walls fall down and you don't feel like you're the only one who's incapable of just, yes, I know. I know that pornography never makes me feel that good in the end. You know, I know that it's not, 
helpful to or healthy in almost any respect yeah and yet that hasn't stopped me from like the experience of that is experience of almost like addiction and compulsion yeah and so to how does those cycle ever break it, it doesn't break through injunction or pressure it usually breaks through some act of intervening love which is what you've just yeah. described and then also i you know i think also what you kind of focus too on is this idea of when it's not one thing, it's another, right? And so, you know, I, I might have progress in that area, but now all of a sudden I'm struggling in another area with contempt or, you know, whatever it might be. And it's not like I'm, um, I'm, I'm immune to, to, to my sin just because I've uh, had progress in an area. And I think that's something that you emphasize in, right? Yeah. I mean, I, th I really think the experience of growth in the Christian life is an experience into into dependence rather than to independence. Like it's, that sounds like pithy. I didn't even mean to make it sound so pithy, but it's but increased awareness of your own, of your own smallness mm -hmm. um, and God's yeah. largeness, the bigness of, of, of God. Remember in Monty Python, Oh Lord, you are so big, so very, very big. And I, <laughs> I think that's what it, feels like rather than increased victory in um because we will never get to be the sort of people that need god any less like that's not yeah if the point of the christian life if what jesus is cares about most and what it is faith like it seems like yeah faith is what what what, what god is after then why would god make us into people that no longer need faith you know it's, it's just yeah. But somehow we imbibe that in the Christian, like I'm going to grow to mm. the point where I need God less. And that may not be what we think, but that's the that's actually where if you mm. play it out a few steps further, like that's where it goes. But in fact, we we grow into the stage where we need we realize we need God more. Yeah. And that's more of, of deeper comfort and, and rest and less anxiety, I think, than the opposite. Yeah. I mean, that reminds me just of the story of Job. You know, we get to the end of the story and and Job is is super small and God is super big and God doesn't give any answers. He just, mm. uh, he just shows how big he is and, and reveals to Job how small he is. And that yeah. was all that he needed. <laughs> That's all that. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to apply that like low anthropology will save your life. I think God is the, is the, is the, is the, is the force for good Yeah, um, and redemption. So low anthropology is simply a helpful I've, I've found to be a helpful uh, linguistic um, cipher almost for getting into uh, the permission to be weak, to be needy, to be uh, guilty um, so that you might look to God for what that which you cannot provide yourself. Yeah. Or, and also, but all, but on it also yields things like friendship, curiosity, openness, um, you know, uh, a low anthropology actually doesn't say people are never capable of great things. It says, I don't know exactly what, I can't write the script for another person 100%. So um, it's it, a cynical view is a more high anthropology view, which says I can be absolutely certain 100% of what you are going to do, say, and feel. Mm. And a low anthropology says, actually, you're, there's a God and you're not, you're not it. So you don't <laughs> actually know, you may know, you may have 
an informed guess, <laughs> an informed hypothesis, but you actually don't know. Yeah. And that, that again, leaves the door open. Well, and in that it's sense, hopeful. it seems like cynicism um, is, again, a selective form of high anthropology where it's perhaps uh, a high anthropology of self and a low <laughs> anthropology of everyone else. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Well, you can also have a high anthropology of other people and a low one of yourself, and that's equally, equally destructive. That's sort of self-loathing versus yeah. self-righteousness. And those yeah. are two sides of the same high anthropology coin, I think. Yeah. So kind of pulling back to the other statement that I pulled out from your book, high anthropology transforms the church from a hospital for sinners into a schoolhouse or even boot camp for saints. I kind of wanted to pull that out because I think the way that we, the way that we visualize our work, um, you know, I think when we think of our work as Christians, like we're soldiers in this boot camp for God, it seems like it can lead us down some, some, some sort of kind of, I think about like the culture war and, and things like that, where that starts to inform, like we're supposed to fight for God in, in our culture. And, and I like the hospital metaphor better because it, i think it's more helpful and maybe more directly related to the type of work we're supposed to do but i don't know how would you how do you reconcile that type of imagery when we think about the work we're doing and and um and how that plays a role yeah i mean i think the most transformative communities are the ones that are based on an admission of common weakness and uh sin and uh need need um, that's like the AA model of, of growth. And, and those tend not to be very militaristic groups that are going to yeah. co conquer the world and impose their values on other people, but instead um, be more like, uh, you know, what is it, two, two, two blind people looking for food, you know, or, just, or, or two, two beggars telling another beggar where to find food. I think that that's the much more compelling model of, of Christian faith. And for that reason i don't see um, i mean if you have a high anthropology view where christians are sort of categorically different than non-christians and, and and you sort of think that they're they're sort of infused with a new righteousness that is makes them better or um different well then you're going to really divide the world into categories if, if you if i believe that people actually remain sinners that the holy spirit is active and alive and that god's work god uses people but is not like never changes them to the point of like being somehow categorically different then i'm going to have much more sympathy for my fellow sufferers and mm -hmm. i find that to be of immense importance when it comes to how i view change in the world and loving other people and do i approach people from a point of view that i i need to uh, defeat them somehow or uh, or do i see everyone as uh, in in bondage or in suffering to themselves and other forces beyond their control and in need of uh, love and um and and god so that's low anthropology view actually i think motivates more love and service for one's neighbor because you're no longer sort of resenting your neighbor for not being better than they are yeah uh, but accepting that they're just like you and they 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 might their low anthropology may be manifesting itself in a different way. Um, mm. Or maybe, hopefully, it just gives you a little, at least if not love, and then some patience. Yeah. Um, uh, high anthropology tends to create resentments and, and categories and divisions. And, uh, you know, uh, then just, just divisions lead to downright opposition. And yeah. 
uh, you have to you have to say those people are either evil or insane and that's mm. the only way to make sense of them but to actually know another person you know once you realize oh they they've lost their father too or oh they've they've got this compulsive problem they can't seem to fix and and they're lashing out i mean that's a doesn't change that doesn't doesn't mean that everything they're doing is somehow excused but it just it certainly allows you to put a little bit of a distance between the action or the position and the person themselves which is certainly what i think christ did yeah how how would you like sort that out in terms of dealing with like people uh broken people versus someone that is like an act like is actually abusing people in a position of power um perhaps in a secretive way, like uh, how would you sort of distinguish the difference between under having that empathy and understanding, but also not allowing that low empathy, not allowing that, that, uh, that sin to let people continue to be abused as well. Yeah. I, I think low anthropology is not surprised by sin and I think a high anthropology is. And mm. so uh, it, it, low anthropology is quicker to, I think actually say, well, hey, mm. hold on a second. There's something really terrible happening here. In which case uh, this um, I can, I can, I can, we can, we can say this needs to stop right now. And there's no excuse for this. Yeah. Now, that, that doesn't mean the person themselves is beyond redemption. Um, and the world wants to say that they are, that there's no mm. distinction between them and their actions. And a low anthropology would say that they're in, in tied in all sorts of knots. And the way that they're low anthropology, it's actually wreaking havoc on those around them and genuine damage. Um, there's, there's, there's like a difference here, I think, like in a... Um, right now there's a popularity of certain books or just a cultural buzzwords like vulnerability. And we just need to be open about our weakness and our vulnerabilities and our, you know, chinks in our armor. And I think that's really good, but it doesn't, it doesn't allow for the fact that sometimes the things that are, that I, with which I struggle end up hurting the people around me. Um, yeah. And, um, and that there is a moral component to our low anthropology that needs to be forgiven or needs to be, uh, but before it can be forgiven, often at times just needs to be stopped. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't say that just because someone's act misbehaving that therefore it's okay. Yeah. It, it says, uh, it says there may be reasons behind it and we might be able to empathize in certain ways, but doesn't excuse it. Yeah. So it just explains it. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I would hope in my, in my, honestly, in my experience, communities of low anthropology are not communities that are trying to rationalize away people's abuse of one another. They're actually yeah. trying to say they're actually able to call a thing what it is because their entire mm. metaphysical world is not under threat. Mm. Um, so maybe, maybe people have had different experiences of that. Uh, like, like at church where there's abuse going on, it's often there's, there's a sense in which this pastor is somehow this Christian can't be doing that because they're better than they are. Or there's a, mm -hmm. they've got the Holy spirit or there's a, you know, that's that kind of stuff is what that kind of high anthropology leads to uh, a, a or there's an idolatry of the leader that uh, again has, has, has imputed to them a higher capability uh, that that's the sort of thing that keeps people's eyes closed. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else about the book you'd want to share as we close up here? 
Well, I'll just say I think it's a deeply uh, the people that have read it that that uh, I trust seem to think that it's very very as if if there's a negative bent to how it sounds like the the net effect of the book is a deep is one of relief comfort and hope um and that uh, any kind of lasting hope that uh, it has to be built on an accurate view of ourselves um and uh in a, a deeper faith in god in fact so i uh i hope people like it um and i hope i hope i hope people feel seen uh by the book but also with compassion and um, pointed toward the the one that actually uh, God Himself, who 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 has more compassion than this author does. Yeah, yeah. Before before we close out here, would you tell us a little bit about Mockingbird, your ministry, um, the podcast, the blog, the, the event? Sure, Mockingbird is an organization. Uh, you, as you said in the intro, we were founded 15 years ago, and uh, the purpose of Mockingbird is to basically uh, connect the Christian faith with everyday life, but in all sorts of different ways. And we do that. What we've developed is what today is called a platform. So we have podcasts and we have um, events and we have a print magazine and we have a very active blog. But when I say connect, the, what we're really doing is we're trying to underline the uh, uh, and identify the way that God's grace plays out in the world and in our own lives. And sometimes that's through highlighting its absence. Sometimes I, I really feel like the central truth of the Christian faith has to do with the mercy and forgiveness of God um, and the hope of the resurrection. And that is not, you know, the, the base note for which Christianity is always known, but Mockingbird is certainly trying to rehabilitate in that direction, um, albeit with an eye to low anthropology and to, um, you know, transparency along those lines. Just really, re you see, well, I see Christianity as, as deeply of good news. So what that looks like in our podcast, we will talk about various articles, you know, about whether it be about mental health or whether it be about relationships, or whether that be about theology or psychology or, um, you know, sometimes larger like so social trends and things like that um but always with the emphasis on grace as it as it relates to um where you and i are living in 2022 cool well how can people connect with you the book get the book visit the web sure. uh, visit mockingbird subscribe mmbird.com is where where most of that happens at mockingcast you can find it wherever that's our pot mate principal podcast uh the the book is called Low Anthropology and it's available on Amazon or wherever you get books. The um the audio book of it will be available November fifteenth. The print cool. version is has been available for two months now. And um yeah, we've got lots of events that are going on. I'm about to go to one in Texas, and uh, we'll do one in Winter Park or Orlando, Florida in January, and then New York in the spring. Cool. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing your life with us today, David. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Share Life. For additional stories and systems to live better and work smarter, visit jasonscottmontoya.com. That's jasonscottmontoya.com. We look forward to having you listen in on the next episode of Share Life.